You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So we are in the eighth week of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, taking one chapter at a time. There's 13 chapters, so we're getting there. And to catch you up on the story for those who might be new, God has sent two of his best men, Ezra, who also has a book of the Bible, who joins best man number two, Nehemiah, on this incredibly important mission. The mission is to go to Jerusalem, which was attacked and abandoned some 141 years ago, to now go in the mission to secure the city, to get the temple open so that the Bible could be taught so that the choir and band could take the stage, people could come and be saved, that a revival would happen, and that emotional processing and healing could take place for the people of God through the Word of God. Well, in addition to working to these, through these two godly leaders, they were met by two of Satan's counterparts, Sanballat and Tobiah. The big idea is this, for every ministry, someone is trying to do anti-ministry. Every time God is trying to do something, someone is trying to stop it. Sanballat was a bad guy. He didn't even claim to be a believer. Tobiah, on the other hand, we believe married a believer, but he certainly didn't live as a believer. So there's this constant battle from chapter 1 all the way up to at least chapter 8 where we are today. There is ministry and there's anti-ministry. And the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that doesn't stop the gates of hell from trying. And the point is this. Jesus is saying that Satan and demons... They will do, this is what they will do spiritually. They will try to take people captive in a spiritual war. And these gates are things like bitterness because of unhealed hurt, lies to confuse people about the truth. They would be demonic, counterfeit religions, spiritualities, philosophies, even traumatic experiences in life. And what happens is these gates, they're actually more like prison doors, hold people back from the freedom that God intends for them. And so God's intent is to unleash his people filled with his Holy Spirit to break down the gates for other people so that they can live in Jesus Christ. And what we see in this section of Nehemiah is nothing less than spiritual war. And in this spiritual war, God's people are trying to get other people who need the Lord, and the enemies are trying to stop them from being set free. We're going to see the rescue of people who have been held captive, and that's going to come about through preaching and teaching and worship and gathering and classes and relationships and groups and answering questions that people have and praying over needs that people have. And the reason this is so important, as we learned last week, the community grew by 50,000 people. So what's happening in Nehemiah? They were trying to get their old church remodeled, get it open, 
get the Bible teacher set up so that all these new people, as they come into town, they could come to know the Lord and they could come to church and they could meet with God's people and meet God himself and join with God's people. The exact same thing that we and other Bible believing churches are trying to do. And so as we pick up the story, we're going to discover that the war is against the word. We begin our reading with the last sentence of chapter 7, and then we move into chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. So everybody gets together as church. For those of you who have been with us for a while and listening, (laughs) that's the key. How long has it been since they've had a church meeting in Jerusalem? Thank you. One person got 141 years. Let me say, if you've been closed for 141 years, there's a lot of struggling. But they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So everyone's getting together like a concert, and then it's almost like they're, they're, hey, bring on the Bible, bring the Bible. Amazing, isn't it? Like they're cheering for the Bible to, to be brought out. So on the first day of the seventh month, and we know exactly when this is. This is October 8th, 444 B.C., Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So Ezra opens the Bible. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. We'll come back to that. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. So everybody showed up to church service that was old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So people are taking notes. They're paying attention. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, literally a stage. Beside him on his right stood six men. Next slide. And on his left were seven men. Next verse. (laughs) Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. He literally opens the word of God and people stood out of respect. Here's the big idea. It's only been a week since they got their city secure and open. And the first thing they do, they have church because that's their first priority. You and I need to understand for 141 years, it's not been a priority. And as soon as they understand how significant gathering for worship is, they make it their first and highest priority. This is for us as believers. We want to make the worship of God and the gathering of God's people our highest priority. And what happens, this is beginning of basically their new year. And so it's the perfect time. Hey, come to church, hear the Bible, get a fresh start, new year, new you. And what we see here, two men work together. 
So Nehemiah built a platform on which Ezra is going to stand and teach. These two men, they complete one another. They don't compete with one another. Nehemiah is the guy who understands fundraising and legalese and PR and building permits and cash flow and budgets and organization charts. How many of you, I mean, that's you, like you've accepted Excel into your heart. You like things buttoned up and and organized. Nehemiah, on the other hand, he works with Ezra. Ezra is the Bible teacher, the spiritual leader. He organizes the band, the choir, the small groups. He's teaching. He's preaching. How many of you are more like Ezra? Well, they work well together. And they each get a book of the Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are books regarding the ministries of these two men who complete one another. They don't compete with one another. And it just shows how the power of unity and humility come together. Two world-class leaders working together to love people and help them understand God. That being said, let's talk about Ezra's sermon. It's long. So let me, you ask, let me ask you a question. How long do you think is a long sermon? And if you say 15 minutes, we know who you are. You're a new person to this congregation. This is one of my new life verses from the Bible. Verse 3 tells us that he preached for six hours. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. My pastor friend and I agree. It says, too, that the people stood. Don't you complain. (laughs) You've got it easy. They're standing up. But here's part of the reason. They haven't had church for 141 years. It's like you saying, I haven't been here since 1882. In addition, it says that he opened the book of the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. So he gives a six-hour sermon on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what it says as well is that it's very authoritative. Here's where the Word of God is. It's literally over the people. Ezra is standing up on a platform, a stage. And the Word of God is literally over the people. This is important. Nehemiah had that platform, that stage built so that Ezra could stand on it and open the word of God. And everyone gathers. And at the center of that service is the opening of the word of God. At this point, most of the Old Testament has been written. Obviously, none of the New Testament. Jesus hasn't come, so that's not available. But even visually, what this tells you, that the Bible must be the highest authority. By putting the Bible over the people, it was literally showing them that this word of God has authority over you. It's very important. And when we open it, we hear a word from God because this is the word of God. And so what's happening up to this point, there's been a lot of battles. There have been PR battles, like all kinds of false accusations were sent against Nehemiah and the people. 
There have been legal battles, open charges and letters that were sent to the government against them. Financial battles, security issues, death threats. They've had family and friends trying to pull people away from the mission of getting this church and ministry moving forward. There's always a battle in some way every day, and we know why. The battle is against the opening of the Word of God. If the Bible is to be opened, there's going to be a battle to open the Bible because once God's Word is opened, you're going to see it. Revival comes, lives are changed, and things happen. Anywhere that someone is trying to open the Bible, there's going to be a battle because the Bible has been closed for 141 years, and now that it's going to be opened, things are changing. What we believe and what I know to be true is that when the Word of God is open, the power of God is unleashed. So let me ask you, what's your story with the Bible? How many of you grew up in a semi-religious household and yeah, you had a Bible in your house. It was on the coffee table collecting dust. I was talking with someone recently who said as an adult, oh, they had a Bible readily available in their home. They used it as a coaster until the Lord Jesus came into their heart and then they couldn't stop reading it. Or maybe you're one who has assumed you knew what it said. You know, like, okay, there's a God, uh, be a good person. God likes good people. Good people go to heaven. I'm a good person. (laughs) Don't ever need to open it again. But then you open the book and you started reading it. And the first thing you get is offended because it says, I'm not good. I'm bad, and I need God. How do I get God? You keep reading, and you realize God comes to you, that the Lord Jesus came on a rescue mission for you. So now every time you read the Word of God, something new, you learn, you hear, and you're constantly amazed by it. You find that God's Word is unlike anything you've ever studied or read. You know, there's no power like what comes from the Word of God. And here they've had a war. They've had a battle. And the battle is always for trying to open the Bible. Now, the Bible gets opened and the power of God is unleashed. Next verse. Ezra, praise the Lord, the great God. Now, this next part is going to tell you that they were not Presbyterians. All the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen means I agree with that. Like, yes, Lord, let it be so. But how many of you have found that when the Bible is taught, people sometimes misunderstand it or they have questions Or their first thought is, I disagree with that. So the Bible teaching has gone out, but now people have questions, objections, prayer requests. They're trying to figure it out. So what happens is they deploy small group leaders to go meet with the people. 
the Levites, all 13 of them that you see there. Next line. I've learned. Back in chapter 3, we read all of them. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. By the way, every Christian takes on this role. So if you're a mom or dad, you teach the Bible to your kids. So they've got questions, you try to answer those questions. If you're working with someone who doesn't know the Lord, maybe they've got objections. Okay, well, try to answer those objections. Or you meet people, they're struggling, and you say, can I pray for you? Here's what I would encourage you as God's people. Everywhere you go, just assume someone there is experiencing spiritual warfare. That Satan has them trapped in addiction, lies, bitterness, discouragement, trauma. They're struggling with something and maybe see yourself placed there as someone to love them, to pray for them, to ask them if they have any questions or to seek to help them in some way. Here's what I would tell you. It seems that no one is ashamed of their team politically, socially, economically, sexually. I mean, it, it's, it's out publicly, right? No one's ashamed of their team. So don't be ashamed of your team. You're on team Jesus. Would you like a Bible? Here, I'll get you one. Can I pray for you? Do you have any questions? Do you have any objections? Do you want to come to church and be offended? I'll pick you up. That way you can't leave. (laughs) How many of you, that's how you came to know Jesus as your God and Savior? You had questions, objections, curiosities, prayer requests, and someone took the time to listen to you, to speak with you, to walk with you, to help you. That's what they're doing here. And so ministry doesn't change from thousands of years ago to today. The principles remain the same. And then what we see is that Bible teaching has God's anointing. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit wants people to learn the Bible. So the author of the book, the author of this book, meets with those who are studying the book. You see, when you open the Bible... It's the only time you're going to have the author help you understand what it means. So how many of you in reading the Bible, you're like, I I didn't think I could understand it. I don't get it completely, but but the Holy Spirit has led me to understand more of it. How many of you, you're like, I couldn't believe that I actually listened to a sermon, a whole sermon from Pastor Paul for like an hour. And some of you are like, is that really what we're doing? And the people said, amen, amen. Okay, that was back in Nehemiah. All right. The story continues. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. We're going to talk more about this in just a moment. The first thing they hear The first thing that happens when they hear the word, when they hear the Bible, is that they are emotionally convicted. Nehemiah said, 
Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy doesn't come from the world. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Joy comes from the one who is over your circumstances. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So here's the big deal. The Bible is open. Their first response is emotional conviction. They're like, oh my gosh, that's who God is. That's what God says. This is who I am. And their first understanding is I have not obeyed God. That's sin. And they're bothered by it and they are weeping. And maybe your approach to the Bible is this. Look, the more I read it, the worse I feel. And you know why that is? Because it's working. It's working on you. You see, before it can change you, it has to reveal you. Once you know who God is and you see who you are, then you realize the things for which God needs to forgive and the ways that you need to change. And you're like, Oh boy, I've not been doing what God says. Well, that's the conviction. Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. Conviction leads to change. It's God saying, okay, here's the issue. I forgive it. Let's change it. And what happens here, the people are convicted. And this is the beginning of revival. Lots of people are convicted of their sin and they give their lives to God. So you need to understand if you want to experience revival, it starts with Bible teaching. Until the word of God is open, then the spirit of God is not as active and people are not convicted. And they can't change until they know who God is and how he wants them to change. And so as you open the word of God, the spirit of God does his work. According to Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As you are in the Bible, the Bible is in you. And now it's examining your Motives, your heart, your thoughts, your attitude. This is how the Bible is living and active. The Bible is not old, it's eternal. The word of God is powerful. It is unleashed to save people and change eternities. Next verse. On the second day of the month. So this is one day later. The heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. The men are like, we don't know the Bible. We've got to learn it. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during 
the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Here's what they're supposed to tell. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. They're not weeping anymore. Now they're rejoicing. And I'm going to tell you why. First, let's hear this last verse from Nehemiah 8. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So they're reading the Bible, and they're like, it says here that we're supposed to have this festival called Feast of Booths. <laughs> We've never done that. We need to do that. And what, that, what they do is they adjust their life to God's Word. So here's what happens. How many of you, you read the Bible and you're like, man, I've, I've not been doing that. I, I need to make some changes. They're going to change their schedule. They're going to change their budget. They're going to change their priorities. And they're now worshiping God by taking their time, their talent and treasures and giving it to the priorities of God. And what's going to happen is that God is going to bless them. But let me say this. God doesn't so much bless people as he blesses a place. And that place is under the word of God. God blesses the place of obedience to his word. And so if you're a person who wants to be blessed, you need to be placing yourself under his word in obedience. If you want to do the right thing, God will help you do the right thing. If you want to make changes to your life in obedience to God's word, his excitement is to lead you to do that. I mean, how many of you, if you have a child who's disobedient, you respond to them differently than when they are obedient? God is our father. We are his kids. He's not going to bless disobedience. He's going to bless obedience. So God blesses people who place themselves under his word. What they're starting here is they're saying, look, our schedule hasn't been for the Lord. It is now. Our priorities have not been for the Lord. They are now. We've actually not opened the Bible for generations. Time to get that Bible open. Take some notes. And God blesses them. On the other hand, disobedience to God is going against everything the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Repenting is literally turning around. It's turning your mind around, your heart around, your life around, your budget around, your schedule around, and saying, you know what? I've been fighting against God. I'm going to start worshiping God. 
God, is this where you want me to go? Is this how you want me to live? Is this what you want me to do? Is this who you want me to be? So these people have been living for 141 years in the wrong way. Now they repent. And what we see here, they start by weeping, they end by rejoicing. And what happens is this, they meet for a six-hour sermon. Ezra teaches them from the law. He calls it the book of the law of Moses, and the law is crucial. In the New Testament, there's a man named Paul, and he mentions the law 121 times in his writings. And what he says is, we need the law to understand what he calls the gospel. Like you need to know that you're a sinner before you get excited about a savior. So these two things go together, the law and the gospel. The law is bad news about what you've not done. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done. Actually, one of the Psalms says, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know what that means? If God's law is perfect, then there are no edits. So God's law is this perfect, unchanging word from the Lord. And some people are like, well, we've evolved beyond that. No, we haven't. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God says. And the authority is not internal. Like, I don't feel this is right. I don't feel like one way to heaven is good enough. I don't feel like Jesus being the only way is the way I should think. I don't think some old book should tell me what to do and how to live my life. In that case, you're appealing to an internal authority. And the law of God is an external authority. And it judges everyone and everything. It is over all people, all times, all cultures, all places. And when our culture has now is a predisposition toward people thinking that they are God, it's like I'll decide right and wrong. And then I'll go online and I'll tell people where they're wrong because they don't live by my law. But here's the problem. The law cannot save anyone. Your law cannot save you because what you're going to do is to die and you're not going to stand before a mirror when you die. You don't get to judge yourself. You stand before the Lord Jesus. And if you disobey one of God's laws, you fail. So you can't look at another person and say, well, I'm better than them. You look to Jesus and you say, I'm not like him. How many of you are a parent and you're like, man, I don't know why they don't obey. I give them a lot of rules because those little people are evil. <laughs> so until they get a new nature, their old nature wants to break the rules. And the more rules are made, the more rebellion we seem to to be more rebellious. And sin is not just what I do. Sin is who I am. That's the burden. That's the broken realization on these people in Nehemiah's time. Ezra opens the book of the law. He teaches it and it says, all the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. 
by the end of six hours, I imagine everyone's just looking at the ground like, oh gosh, here I was thinking I was a, I was a great person. God was lucky to have me. And now I realize who he is and who I am and the law convicts me and it breaks me. The question is then what's next? They go from weeping to rejoicing because the leaders come along and they explain the rest of the story. And they say, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So let me tell you the rest of the story because the whole point of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The whole point of human history is Jesus Christ. The whole point of our gathering is Jesus Christ. And he came on a rescue mission to save us by fulfilling the law. So weep about what you've done, but rejoice about what he has done. And this is such good news. So Jesus came. God becomes a man. The creator enters into creation. And he goes to the cross and he suffers and dies in my place for my sins. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, refers to that as the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. He took on our sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the whole reason you're here is that Jesus knows you and knows that you need to know him. You need to know that you're a sinner and that he is a savior, the savior. And you can feel bad about what you've done but you can move on to feel great about what he has done for you. And so on the cross, Jesus took our place and he put us in his place. He took our condemnation and gave us salvation. He took our death to give us life. He took separation from God the Father so that we can have reconciliation with God the Father. He's the one who experienced the wrath of God so we can be the ones to receive the grace of God. And Jesus Christ, as he died, he says, it is finished. And all the work of obedience to the law was done. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Our Lord is alive right now, ruling and reigning in heaven. He is forgiving sin. He is hearing prayer. He is lifting burdens. And his name is Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.